This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, good morning. Good to see all of you here. God bless you. You lost an hour of sleep, but you still made it here. That's good. That's progress, all right? You guys are a little more uh, energetic than the, the early service. They had a tough time getting going. I believe they're already at home taking a nap, so you'll get one this afternoon. If you need a Bible, once you raise your hand up real high, I want you to get in the Word of God where you can look at this. I believe God will speak to your heart today. We've been on a six-week deal with our GPS, Give, Pray, and Serve. I was going to quit last week on the servanthood, but we just kind of felt like there were some things that I didn't end with that we probably needed to. So go with me to Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to begin today. Speak some truths into your life that I believe will pertain to every one of us in here today. Ephesians 2 is where we'll begin. You know, if you were here last week, uh, one of our main texts was 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. It says that he, he saved us, that Jesus has saved us. But he didn't stop there, he said, and he's called us with a holy calling, his calling. And he's purposed us with his purpose. And the last part of that verse says, and it's all by grace. And so we want to get into this a little bit deeper to understand this, that he saved us and he's called us. And he's called every one of us in here. Read with me starting in in Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. For by grace you've been saved through through faith. What does the word grace mean? The word grace means uh, an unmerited favor or unmerited kindness. In other words, I don't deserve it. And when we talk about the grace of God, the grace of God is a force, it's a verb, the grace of God is a, a noun, it's favor. But it says right here that God has graced us, that God has empowered us One of the means of grace is that it's the Holy Spirit's operational means. In other words, that's the way God starts working through us. So it says here, he saved me through grace, by grace, through faith. And when we see there through faith, through faith literally means that I trust God. I believe God will do what he said. So God saved me, and by grace, I believe he did that. And so the same way that I give my heart to Jesus is the same way grace operates in every venue of my life. And so when God saves us, it's by grace. And when God calls us, it's by grace. That it's just not a saving grace, it's a sustaining grace. That he'll keep grace in you and keep grace in you. You I encourage you to let this be part of your prayer every day. To say, Father God, I welcome your grace today. I welcome your grace in, in your occupation. I welcome your grace as a man or a woman. I welcome your grace as a daddy or a mother. I welcome your grace as a husband or wife. Grace me, Father God. And I believe he loves that prayer. So we see here it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we're not not saved by our good work. The only way I become saved, it's a gift from God that I receive it. And when I receive it, I, I can't pay for it. I'm saved by grace, 
I'm not saved by works, but I am saved for works. Now, there's a difference. I'm saved by grace, but not by works, but I am saved for works. That I'm, I'm called to do something more than just salvation. How do we know that? He saved us, and He's called us, and He's purposed us. If we were just saved just for our own security of eternity for every one of us, then the minute you got saved, God would say, let's get them out of here. Let's send them to heaven. But he doesn't do that with us. And when we talk about that he's even purposed us, part of that is me and you are, are called to be God's hands. We're called to be his feet. We're called to be his voice. We are to be God's expression right here on earth that shows people God loves you. Now look at verse 10. This is really interesting here. For we are his workmanship. We are his handiwork. And so when you read, I'm his workmanship, for what? We'll keep reading. Created by Christ Jesus for good works. You are his workmanship created for good works. And so that means that I'm to be busy within the kingdom of God. I'm to work for the Lord's behalf. And we go on there in this verse, he says, and good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should live in those good works. That we should actually be doing something. And so salvation is so far more than just me giving my heart to Jesus. That's the beginning point. That's a great point. But that's not the ending point. Now go back into the back of the Bible to Revelations chapter 3. Revelations chapter 3. And as you're turning there, there's three different types of people within the church. There's what we call the drop-ins. And they just kind of slip in and slip out. They're kind of like a stealth aircraft. You just never see them. The next ones are what we call absorbers. And the absorbers are the ones that come and say, what can the church do for me? What does the church offer for me, for my family? But the last ones is what we call the contributors. And they are actually the ones that say, you know what, not only am I going to go to church, but I'm going to be the church. I'm going to be a servant. And not only do they serve, they serve unto the Lord. Now, any time in the Bible that the Lord references as his servants, never does he call me and you volunteers. He says, that's my servants. That's my servants. And his servants are about kingdom business. Watch what happens here as we begin. Revelations 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, we write. Now, he was writing to this church in a place called Laodicea. To the church. Now, once again, he wasn't writing to a building. The church is made up of people. So he was writing to these people that were involved with the church at Laodicea. He says, these things, says the amen. That's the God of truth. The faithful and true witness, the God who's going to guarantee all his promises. The beginning of the creations of God. Now note here, this is Jesus' words. This is red letter words. We jump to verse 15. I know your works. Now he's talking to the church, the people of Laodicea, and he said, I know your works, I know your deeds. The Amplified says, 
I know the records of your works and what you're doing. The New Living says, I know all the things that you do. Now, it's interesting right here. The Lord Jesus, he says to me and you, he said, I know your works or I know your deeds. He did not say, I know that you confess me as Lord. I know that you, you, you prayed the sinner's prayer. He didn't say, I know you've acknowledged me. He said, I know your works or your deeds. Now, remember... We are his workmanship. We are called to do things within the church. And right here, the Lord's saying, I identify you by what you're doing or what you're not doing. Interesting, isn't it? That Jesus takes notice right here. He goes on to say, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. I wish you were one or the other. In your life, in my life, not one of us in here did God ever tend for us to be a full-time businessman and a part-time Christian. He didn't intend for us to be a full-time teacher and a part-time Christian. He didn't intend for me to be a full-time dad and a part-time Christian. To be a Christian, it's, it's every day. It's having the very heart of Jesus. And remember last week, we read where Jesus himself said, Listen guys, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. But in this situation, he said, And I, I, I wish you were, were cold or hot, one or the two. And so to a certain degree, I, I believe the Lord's telling me right here, It's not about what's easiest. It's not about what's most convenient. And the church at times, we've become like a drive through window. Man, let's just come and get in and let's get out. We've become like an ATM. I want it fast, I want it fast, I want it now. And if it's convenient or it meets my time schedule, then I'll do it. If it doesn't, then it's not that big of a deal. Now let's pay close attention in verse 16 at some of his words here. He says, this is the Lord Jesus. So then because you are lukewarm... He, he's talking about spiritually. And I can't make lukewarm synonymous with normal. It's not. He said, because you are lukewarm, because you are just average, because you're mediocre, because you're lethargic, who this is stout right here, neither, caught nor whole, nor, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, that's pretty graphic right there, what he's saying. So to a sense, he's saying, I know your works. And because you're neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out. I'm really, really not dedicated to the things of God. Understand this, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Me and you are the subcontractors. And in this passage, he lets me know. I'm paying close attention to your deeds or your works. Do you act like a Christian? He goes on to say this in verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. In other words, I've got life taken care of. I can coast just right on through life without any consequences. I got it figured out. 
I got everything I'll ever need. You know, have you ever thought about this in America? It's very easy to get born again. How many of you have in this room, when you gave your heart to Jesus, did you sit there and you pondered before you made that declaration? Is there a chance that once I confess Jesus as Lord, there's an opportunity I may be killed here today? I never had that. Not in America. Now, I do know ones in our church here, they're from China, and that stuff happens there. But here in America, it's relatively easy in everything that we do, and this is what happens right here. But think about this thought that Jesus himself said. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. In order to follow Jesus, it's going to cost me. There should be a sacrifice. And so even in our GPS series, to be a person that learns to give, it's going to cost you. It's going to be a sacrifice. To be a person of prayer, it's going to cost you. To be a servant, it's going to cost you. Now look how he ends in verse 17. And do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? And he's talking about spiritually right here is what he's talking about. And so to a degree, you know what he's saying? You're oblivious. You're selfish. There's no thought of anybody else in your life. And that's kind of to the degree of we as Americans. We really don't care about anybody else. We've got what I need and what I want. But in this passage, it's if the Lord is saying, listen, guys, you've got to get a kingdom perspective. You've got to start looking at this life you're going through through God's eyes. And in God's eyes, you know what he sees? He sees people and people that are going to hell. And if it bothers God that people are going to hell, it should bother us. Now, jump with me to the book of Luke, chapter 9. Luke, chapter 9, and we're going to dig in this a little deeper. And so you begin to hear the different things we've already talked about this morning, that we are his workmanship, created for good works. And then Jesus himself tells us, I know your works. I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. And so it's if he's saying there's got to be a shift within us where we become kingdom-minded. Whatever it takes to become kingdom-minded. Luke 9, and I'll begin in verse 57. In my Bible, the subtitle of this right here is The Cost of Discipleship. The cost. Kingdom work is not free. I mean, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your energy. It's going to cost you your resources. So we begin in verse 57. And now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now I want you to catch one of the words there and there. He said, I will follow you. He said, he said, he said, I'll follow you. See, it's one thing to say that to the Lord, and it's another thing to actually do it. And so this first guy that Jesus deals with here in verse 57, he talks about this. He has good intentions, but he doesn't really count the cost. Jesus says to him in verse 58, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now what he's talking about here is this young guy who popped off and said, I'll follow you. 
the enthusiasm that he had, it faded away. And Jesus responds to him, and he basically tells him, he says, listen, buddy, you haven't weighed your options of what it means to abandon your material security to father to father to father me. And so that's where everyone we got to get. To follow Jesus, I got to weigh all my options. This is the first one he deals with. Verse 59. Then he said to another, follow me, but he said, "Lord, let me first go and bury my father." Now, the reason this young man responds to the Lord and says that, that it was significant in a Jewish man's life that if he filled all the obligations to his father, including burial of his father, he would get a double portion of the inheritance. So when we looked at this, it, it sounded good. And it was an okay thing, but really the guy's intent was he had money on his mind, an inheritance. And so you look at a wording in here, this phrase, it says, let me first go. Let me first go. So literally what he's saying is, I want to make sure my plans and my desires are first, not yours, Lord. But pay close attention what the Lord says back to him. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. And just stopping right there, you could say, Wow, Jesus was hard. He was harsh. He was really insensitive. But look what he ends with. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And so when you read this, Jesus is actually telling him, listen, buddy, loyalty to me and the kingdom of God must be over everything else. It's going to cost you. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. When it comes to my giving there in, in Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, honor the Lord with thy first fruit. And so you begin to see the pattern with God that God plays second to nothing, to no one. Even in this situation, and here he was saying, listen, buddy, you got to, to waver the cost of servinghood. Putting me first in the kingdom of God is above everything else. And some of us in here right there immediately say, whoa, I don't know that I'm ready for that. This is what Jesus is writing. This is what Jesus is telling me. Now look, he goes to the third analogy here. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. He said it. He said it. He said it. I'll follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Now, this man was close to people in his house, whether it was his family, his friends, or maybe he even had a girlfriend. And he said, listen, Lord, let me first go tell all them bye-bye. But look real close at Jesus' response to him. But Jesus said, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So when I read this here, Jesus confronts him and he says, he demanded his undivided attention. And Jesus said, you got to give me first place. So we stop and we look at that and we say, 
So Jesus is telling me that he must be priority above my family, above my kids, above my friends, above my girlfriend, my boyfriend. Yeah, that's what he said. And he ended with an incredible phrase that says, if you can't do that, you are not fit for the kingdom of God. You're not suited for the kingdom of God. But once again, Lord, I want to serve you, but I want to pick and choose. And when it's convenient or I agree with it, then I'll do it. But if it's not, I'm not going to do it. And Jesus right here says, buddy, if that's the way you're going to live, you're not fit for the kingdom. Now, he gives us some really, really stout sayings. I'll vomit you out. And then right here, he says, you're not fit for my kingdom if I'm not first, if I'm not priority. Now, we would look at this and we would think he's done with this story. But actually... The story keeps going on. Look with me in chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, after what things? Well, Jesus just gave three different analogies to three different people. And every one of them had to do with the cost of discipleship, the cost of being a believer. And Jesus says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70. The New Living for the word appointed there says chosen or choose. When you look in the New Testament, the word appointed and the word choose are the same. So Jesus appointed 70, or he chose 70. And he sent them two by two before his face into every city and every place where he himself was about to go. Every place that he was himself about to go. So Jesus basically says, listen, I'm going to deputize you. And the very places I was going to go, I'm going to send you out to do the work that I was going to do. And part of the reason was that is, man, 70 can be a lot more effective than one. And so literally here, he's reconfirming that, you know what, here on this earth, you're my hands. You're my feet. You're my ambassadors. You're my voices. Now get this, what he jumps into in verse 2. Then Jesus said to them, the harvest truly is great. What is the harvest referring to? It's not referring to a bunch of wheat and corn and barley. The harvest is literally referring to people because people matter to God. That's the only thing that's going to be in heaven. You're not going to get to take your Harley to heaven, okay? You're not going to take your new golf clubs to heaven. You're not going to take your new jet ski. It's all about people. And so the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is massive. Now look what he goes on to say. But the laborers, the workers, the servants are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So he deals with right here two different types of laborers or two different types of harvesters. Number one is the ones that are actually out there saying, you know what, I'm going to see how many people I can lead to Jesus that will go to heaven. The other laborer is ones that labor in prayer. 
And they begin to fight and they begin to battle. Now, both of those are going to cost you. There's going to be a sacrifice that you ultimately say, Lord, I put your will above mine. I want to see people go to heaven. Let me ask you a question this morning. Does it bother you that people are going to hell? See, it's a question I have to ask my own self. Does it bother me that people go to hell? And there's times in our own life you you can look and say, no, it really doesn't bother me. You know why? I'm saved, my wife's saved, my kids are saved. We're good. But the rest, you know, it's... I believe this, that we need a heart transplant today. And get this in us. Where people that you work with, I realize they may be bad sinners and they may treat you bad, but understand this, God loves people. And every day He puts us here to influence this world. Remember last week we talked about, we're the salt. We're the city that's set on a hill. We're His hands, we're His feet, we're His mouth. And this is what He's talking about right here. This exact thing that He's mentioning here. Now, I'm going to make a statement here, and I'm going to fill it back in a little bit later. But in the kingdom of God, there is no unemployment. What did he say? In the kingdom of God, there is no unemployment. Now, hold your place right there, and go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. Stay right there, because I'm going to come back. And I'm going to show you something that I just began to see the Lord showed me the other day. Man, it jumped out at me. We're going to Matthew 20. And I'm going to read two verses, one in Matthew 20, the other one in Matthew 22. Begin uh, Matthew 20, verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first last, the great reversal. For many are called, but few are chosen. Turn two pages. Matthew 22, verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. He said, well, you just read the same verse. No, Jesus said it twice in two different chapters. He wanted to get a point across, so when he said, for many are called, for many are called, actually for everyone that's saved, you're called. How do we know that? 2 Timothy 1.9 says that he saved us and he called us. So if you're saved, you're called. And he said, so many are called, or all are called, but only a few are chosen. Why would he say only a few are chosen? Because only a few have actually weighed the cost. Only a few have looked and said, you know what, Lord, I'll start living for your cause. Only a few said, you know what, I'll be a laborer, I'll be a servant. I'll go ahead and do those things. But see, the ones of us who are are called, but we don't obey what Jesus has asked us to do, we miss out. We don't fulfill His purpose for us. And there's two things that will be said about every one of us in this room. Only two options, Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or you wicked and lazy servant. One of the two. And so really when I read this, go back to Luke 10, when I read this, Jesus is saying, listen guys, get my heart here. Get a hold of my heart. That Jesus himself, he sacrificed for me and you. He weighed the cost. But you get to see 
that church isn't just about us coming in here and singing a few songs and singing kumbaya and playing around. There's so much more at stake. So we go back to Luke 10. Now, I, I want you to get this. This is going to be a huge, huge revelation right here. Luke 10, read, read with me again in verse 1. And after these things, the Lord appointed the 70. He sent the 70 out. Remember that statement right there. Same chapter, jump to verse 17 and look at this. Then the 70 returned with joy. The same 70 that he had just sent out. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they're telling Jesus that, Jesus, we have authority and we have power when we use your name. But here's what I want you to get right here. Could it be the reason they had power and authority in the name of Jesus? Is because they obeyed the call in verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 1. And I looked at that, and this is what the Lord said to me. Oftentimes, in our lives as believers, we've said, Lord, why don't we see the same power, and we see the same authority that we read about these guys in the Bible here? We see them use the name of Jesus. How many have ever said that? I've said that. I've said, Lord, why don't we see the power they had? Why don't we see when, they, when, when we use your name? Now, can I tell you something? The name of Jesus hadn't diminished a bit. The name of Jesus is still as powerful as it's ever been. Actually, Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11 said, it's the name above every name in heaven, earth, and hell. It's a lot better than Master Carter Visa. I'm telling you, it's good worldwide. So if the name of Jesus hasn't diminished, it's still power in that name, but yet I don't have the power when I use it. Could it be because I never call or, or fulfill the call as a laborer? I want to sit on my blessed assurance and do nothing. Ooh, sorry, I got your attention. I don't want to do nothing. But when it comes time to have the name of I want the name of Jesus. So Jesus, I want you all in, but I'm not all in. Woo. Now you talking about ringing me out for the last few days. I have to locate my own heart and say, is this me? Do I play church? Do I play games? Or am I actually living like a sent one that says, you know what? I want to live different. I want to leave a mark on this earth for the kingdom of God. I don't want to leave a mark on this earth that says, you know, old Pastor Stormy, he died a billionaire. He died famous. The only one I want to be famous for is Jesus. But in order for that to happen, I've got to have a heart transplant. And so we jump back to almost everything he said today. Am I lukewarm? Am I lukewarm? Am I selfish? Am I literally oblivious that people are dying and going to hell? Go with me to Psalm 92 and we'll end with this. Psalm 92. Wow. As you're turning there, I made a statement a minute ago and I said, there are no unemployment in the kingdom of God. Let me take that a little step further for you. 
There is no unemployment benefits in the kingdom of God. What do you mean? If I'm not doing the work of the kingdom of God, there's no going to be any benefits with it. And the reason I believe that is what we read in Luke 10, 1 and 10, 17, when you begin to see. The kingdom benefits are the ones who are actually doing the work. But when I don't want to do kingdom work, how can I sit there and say, Lord, take care of me? Actually, the world would define me and you as a hypocrite. Woo, pastor, don't call me that. Understand this, I look in the mirror every day. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to be sold out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to make a difference for your kingdom right here on earth. Psalm 92, verse 13. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord. It's an interesting word there, isn't it? It said those who are planted in the house of the Lord. I believe personally if you're planted in the house of the Lord, you're going to be a GPS believer. You're going to, give a, you're going to be a giver, a prayer warrior, and a servant. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall flourish even in their servanthood toward God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. You know what that tells me? You never retire in the kingdom of God. And some of you who think you're old, you're not old. God's not done with you. Look what it said. It says, they shall bear fruit in old age. And the ones that bear fruit, even in old age, they shall be fresh and flourishing. Woo! <laughs> so you know what that means? Until you die, you're a kingdom servant. Until you die. That, that ought to be a great honor. To say, man, I'm, I'm going to live for Jesus my whole life. He ends with this. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there's no unrighteousness in him. And so really that passage right there, like I said, is GPS as a whole. That God's desire is for every one of us to be a part of this. And you read the passage that talks about how every member in the body of Christ is important. You know, a lot of times we think, well, just because I'm the pinky, I'm of no value. Well, I, I thank God I got this pinky. I don't know, is there anybody in here who's ever lost a finger? I know Chandler. Is Chandler here today? Anybody in here lost a finger? I don't mean that ugly. <laughs> I, I'm just using it as an analogy that, you know, a lot of times we don't think this little dude's very valuable, but I'll guarantee you the day you lose it, it changes your life. It changes the way you tie your shoe. See, what I'm showing us here is I, I don't want anybody in here. Anytime it's kingdom business, you're important, you're valuable. And without you, this thing doesn't function like it's supposed to. Don't view kingdom work, well, I'm, I'm not important. I'm just a pinky, I'm just a little toe. I'm just an earlobe. No, you're a servant of God. You're serving a God. And God wants to use every one of us. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.